Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome to the Celtic Slab Podcast. That music that you just heard uh, is Divine Sweater, and I'm Garrett Tucker yep. Pye. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg, who plays bass for that band. They've got some shows coming up. I'm also joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and you. our guest du jour, our friend Nick Faye from the Brooklyn Buzz. Nick, what's up? What's up, fellas? How we doing? A um, lot better place for the Nets than probably last time I was here. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Obviously, we got some bad news on the KD front, but we're going to jump to that. And obviously, Celtics looking like the best team in the league. Was really excited for that matchup on Thursday. Lost a little bit of the hype after the injury news today. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good summary of where we're at. We invited you on to preview <laughs> this pretty exciting game and poor Kevin Durant. Just can't catch a break. Um, injured MCL, I think I have that right. Sprained yeah. MCL, almost the same exact time last year. Uh, January yeah. 15th last year, obviously yesterday was January 8th. Uh, similar situation, somebody fell right into his leg. It's just kind of bad luck. All right, well, let's jump right into it, Justin, Alex. Hey, um, Nick, you're exactly right that we've seen this injury from Kevin Durant before. The latest reporting, it's Monday afternoon, is that Durant will be out about a month. Um, he's come back and he's been pretty strong from these kind of injuries, but you never want to see this injury. You don't want to see it again and again and again. And Durant is on the older side. So Nick of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast, where are you at with the Durant injury um a like how worried or not are you and b what does that do to slow your emotional momentum from what was a pretty exciting period for the Brooklyn Nets yeah I mean it was obviously disappointing to see it happen the Nets are on the best 20 game stretch in Nets history 18 and 2 over the last 20 games and obviously have been awesome under Jock Vaughn um it's disappointing but this team is a lot more equipped to deal with his absence you know Kyrie Irving obviously being present uh, you have TJ Warren, you have Nick Claxton having a career year. There's maybe a potential for Ben Simmons to step up in the situation. Uh, I think like when the news popped and we all got the Woj and Shams tweet, it was like, okay, this is not the best news, but it's not the worst news. And the reports are it's a little bit lesser uh, than last season, where last year it was about a month to two months. And there was even reports that it lingered all the way into the postseason series against the Celtics. So hopefully this time around, he can be 100% afterwards and get back to playing at an MVP level because Katie's having his best season in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Alex and uh, Justin, let me, let me use that as a launch pad. Durant was playing like an MVP. Say he misses a month and then picks up where he left off. Where do you have him in your MVP power rankings? Cause it's January. So of course we got to talk about the MVP. <laughs> Not out of the MVP race, but uh, definitely falling way farther than a ladder than he is right now, which I think is probably around three to five, something in that range. Yeah, it's really hard to win MVP if you win, miss an entire month. I mean, if Durant is at the like super optimistic high end of that timeline and he only drops like two weeks, I could see him sneaking back in. But missing an entire month is really, really difficult to maintain MVP momentum. Uh, it, it has been done before, but 
not recently, not to my knowledge anyway. It's interesting though, Nick, that you kind of bring up the point of like comparing this time around what's happening with KD to last year's injury. Um, and I do think that you mentioned that, you know, it, it could be worse. I definitely agree. And I think um, it's kind of a testament to a figure that has been, you know, kind of uh, in, in in some hot water lately in Sean Marks uh, and the fact that he's built, I think, a much more resilient roster this time around. Um, what in particular, I'm wondering, does about this Nets roster kind of inspires more confidence in you that they can weather a potentially extended KD absence and maybe take it slower upon his return. Yeah, I think this roster is just constructed completely differently. You know, you guys obviously watched the Nets against the Celtics in the first round. They're running out lineups of Patty Mills, Seth Curry, and Kyrie Irving against the likes of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Obviously, that didn't make sense. We got a tweet from KD in the summertime. It's a Wings League. That was a huge transition for the Nets roster. You know, there's a lot of lineup options where everyone can be on the floor is either 6'6 or the one guy who's not is Kyrie Irving or Seth Curry. I think also Marks has probably had two of the best veteran minimum signings in the entire NBA in TJ Warren and Utah Watanabe. Now, those are two guys that are performing at a high level. You know, TJ still got some time to get, you know, his legs under him. He's still, you know, having some issues here and there, you know, getting back in it. NBA shape but overall there's just a lot more players that can contribute on both ends of the floor and it's a huge factor that Kyrie Irving's playing let's be honest like last year he was absent he's the second best player in the team and not having him was huge and this year he's playing really well and he's after the suspension he's bought in on both ends of the floor and playing probably some of his best defense in Brooklyn I think also the defense in Brooklyn is the best it's been in years. You know, there's a lot of guys playing at a high level and Nicholas Claxton, you know, potentially being a defensive player of the year candidate this season has taken a huge jump. And, you know, two games ago against the Pelicans, Kyrie, KD, the entire team shot poorly, but they found a way to grind out the win because of defense. And we weren't saying that about the Nets the last two years. We can talk about Jacques Vaughn a little bit later. I think we're, yeah. we're planning to, but whenever people try to say that, you know, going from Ina Adoka uh, to uh, Joe Mozilla, that, that coaching doesn't really matter when you have really elite talent on your roster. I mean, look at the Nets. Uh, I think yep. he's done a really, really good job of getting the buy-in, particularly on the defensive end, which has, I think, been a big part of what's been driving the success beyond just having those stars on your team. Yeah, and he holds everyone accountable. Jock Vaughn loves taking quick timeouts. Hey, there's a defensive miscommunication. Last night, there was a switch issue between Kyrie and Katie. Timeout. You know, we're not letting it go. Steve Nash had a terrible habit of letting the opposing team go on in like an 18-0 run, never calling a timeout. Under Jock Vaughn, the Nets are 25-8, and uh, fourth best offensive rating, fourth best defensive rating, um, eighth in assist percentage, which is a pretty big deal given like you're usually having such ISO heavy players in Kyrie and KD. They've really bought into team basketball offensively and typically have, you know, over 25 assists, sometimes hitting in like the thirties in assists. And that's a big difference. And it's kind of ironic given Steve Nash is one of the greatest passers of all time. And he couldn't get the team to play this way. While you're talking about that, Justin is teasing me because, um, we aren't experiencing quick timeouts in Boston right now. <laughs> um, after a long, long time of, you know, Doc Rivers was a, a person with a, a quick quick trigger finger when it came to calling timeouts. Um, now we're seeing quite the opposite and quite the opposite of what you're identifying with Vaughn, which is like Joe Mazzula is just letting them play, which uh, Frustrating I, don't at times. Think I, I don't think I like. I mean, to, to your point, uh, there's an accountability piece. Um, I think it's also like the, the letting the other team build some momentum is a real thing. I also think it lets guys get tired. Yep. Um, 
in an unnecessary way. So Joe Missoula, if you're, if you're listening, uh, maybe reconsider. And um, Jack Vaughn, if you're listening, apparently keep up the good work. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I think this might be a source of disagreement in coaching philosophy for us, Cam, because I actually, for the most part, have very little problem with Missoula's uh, quick tr- or lack of a quick trigger on the timeouts. And I think the thing to kind of throw in there is that um, I, I think context matters a lot when it comes to um, whether to call timeouts quickly or whether to kind of let dudes play a context and frankly, just like rosters. I mean, we can get into this a little bit later, but I'm, I'm not sure that I am as as upset as maybe a larger quotient of Celtics, Celtics fans are in that front. There is some, well, see, it depends on what you're doing when you when you call these, yeah. these timeouts, right? And from all accounts that I've heard, Joe Mazzola, mostly doesn't do anything. He just talks with them about whatever needs to happen next, if he even needs to talk to them. Oftentimes I hear that he is just letting them do the talking for themselves. And a quick time out of that, I'm not really sure would do anything. And I don't know, uh, there are definitely some examples that we can talk about in a little bit where we would like to see a little bit more accountability. But I mean, there's a good case to be made that, that you know, with the best record in the NBA, that Joe's doing just fine in that regard, so... I mean, or the case could be made that it doesn't matter because the Nets and the Celtics have the two best records in the NBA. Um, so take any time out you want, I suppose, if you've got the right players. Um, I think it matters too is like if the team is – like the Celtics obviously went to the finals last year. This is a relatively new Nets team and trying to implement uh, a new type of system and style of play where Ameyu Doka's system is still being ro- run. You know what I mean? It's still kind of majority of the same stuff, so there's not as much to learn. It's more of like – execute you know and i think you know obviously uh, you guys know the celtics better than me but after you go to the finals it's hard to take every regular season game super serious just because the end goal is a championship yeah i mean i guess i disagree with i mean i agree with that but that's definitely true i guess the fear for me is in the postseason like i'm not cool with hey take eight minutes in the second quarter to feel it out Uh, i kind of do want someone to step in when when players need an accountability adjustment and to go from we're pretty used used to loosey goosey in February, March, and April, and then suddenly there's like a whole new rhythm to the game. I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't played basketball on that high of a level. Um, although Alex and I have a new men's league for regular listeners, um, I got myself a pair of the Lou Williams shoes. I'm very excited about that. That's a um, deep cut. <laughs> yeah, the lemon pepper Lou's. I got them in hot pink. Anyways, um, let's pause this. Uh, interesting but uh, unplanned conversation uh, let's pause the conversation entirely do an ad break and then finish up the news and then Nick you're here to talk obviously Celtics Nets will do that with even more specificity but first let me talk to you about our friends over at betonline.ag your number one source for all your sports betting this season everything from NFL playoffs and bowl season to esports and more You'll always have the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and everything you need for almost any sport and game imaginable. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So head to betonline.ag today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive that reward. Bet Online, where the game starts. Alrighty, Nick, this is the Celtics Lab podcast, not the Nets Lab podcast. So we're going to walk on the Celtics side of the street just a little bit more. Um, and let's talk about our own injury here in the hub. Marcus Smart got a pretty bad uh, contusion on his, under his left knee. 
Um, he was walking around gingerly, according to uh, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, walking around gingerly in San Antonio postgame. He wasn't seen, to my knowledge, at shoot around today. The Celtics are playing the Bucks in just a little bit. He's out for that game. Uh, Dr. Quinn, I'll go to you first. First of all, did I miss anything? And second of all, what's your level of concern, if anything? Playing the Bulls. It's not the Bucks. Bulls. <laughs> same, same rust belt. That's the thing you missed. Central division teams. Other than that, perfect. Uh, it's January. Marcus Markets hurt. Like clockwork, let's hope this is the big January injury because, as we know, in years past, it's been bigger and worse and scarier. This is the kind of injury, if we have to have a Marcus Smart injury, I would like to have Marcus Smart to have. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I mean, I am of the mind that he'll be out tonight against the Bulls. Thank you, Alex. Um, and they are playing the Pelicans at home on Wednesday before going to Brooklyn for that Mets game. I guess the heat is a little bit off because Durant is out, but I'm fine if Smart, I mean, Zion is out too. It's just, first of all, everyone's out. But second of all, I'm fine if Smart wants to take an extra day or two, um, Justin, to your point. Uh, it's worth considering if Boston against the Bulls and against the Pelicans, the backcourt looks a mess, but it seems like Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White are eager to pick up the pace and, and pick up the slack, I suppose. Um, Alex, anything from you on the Smart injury? I think Reston as long as he needs, um, you know, this is why you trade for Malcolm Brockton in the offseason. I think it's a good chance for Peyton Pritchard to get back in the rotation and contribute some quality minutes. Um, and the thing that I'm kind of most interested in with regard to the smart injury is what is Joe Missoula going to do as far as the Celtics starting lineup is concerned? Um, obviously, Robert Williams minutes restriction has now been lifted. Um, it seems like he is pretty much back. Um, to being the kind of disruptive dominant force that he was at his best last year. And I kind of wonder if this will be an opportunity for Missoula to actually size up and bring uh, Robert Williams into the starting lineup and have Derek White start at the point. Yeah, it's it's funny. So we kind of have on a rundown, the Celtics blew up the Mavericks and then they played the Spurs. It's January, let's not over-index. Um, but instead, we can talk about what a lot of people have been talking about is whether or not to put Rob in the starting lineup. And uh, Joe Mazzulla is very coy with what he wants to do and why he wants to do it. He's not particularly generous with uh, sharing his thinking. So, Alex, I think you're right for him to be able to say, oh, you know what? Like, there was an injury, and so we had to move things around the plausible deniability of, like, I'm not tipping my hand anywhere near near uh, you guys is is pretty nice. So to that end, I would be almost shocked if Rob Williams didn't start. Although I guess Grant could get the start depending on where things shake out. Um, Nick, I'll, I'll ask for your opinion, although I know that you're a Nets guy more than a Celtics guy about Robert Williams starting. I actually have probably a contrarian opinion here, but um, Nick, if you were the Celtics, Robert Williams has been back for a few weeks. He's got his injury history. Would you be starting him or would you still bring him off the pine? Yeah, I think you look at Robert Williams and what he did last year and you want him to get back to that point. You know, obviously before the injury, you were talking about him as a defensive player of the year candidate, even over Marcus Smart, he was doing a great job. And I think he provides an element that the Celtics lack without him. You know, he provides a vertical spacing offensively. You have you know, some of the best three-point shooters in the NBA on this team. Now you have a rim-rolling threat in Robert Williams. And then defensively, we know what he can do with his versatility. I think he's a guy that you want to make sure can get back to form before the postseason. And like you said, it kind of works out like, oh, we have an injury. Let's slide him into the starting lineup, work him in, and then go from there. I think he's a guy that's really good and can 
be a huge factor come postseason time. So you want to make sure that he's feeling 100% comfortable. And some guys just feel better starting. And I think young guys at times, it could have a big boost for their confidence. Yeah. Fans, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, I think have been echoing those sentiments. Um, Justin, where do you come come down on all of this? Uh, basically the same place that Tatum did in that he would prefer to start with Robert Williams, but whatever is for the best of the team, he's okay with. Uh, I do think that we will see gradually more matching up with the starters minutes. I don't know that it's going to be necessarily a quick jump back to starting just because Tatum said something. Uh, I do think that even though they, he doesn't officially have a minutes limit uh, time Lord that they are keeping an eye on his usage. Uh, and if he, you know, comes down hard on something and like, you know, steps gingerly or, you know, just plays a lot one night. I think that they're, they're going to be very careful uh, looking at how he responds to that moving forward, maybe forever. So while I do think he is going to be the starter by the end of the season, because that's probably the best lineup you can get on the floor for Boston, I am not entirely certain they're going to be in, in any hurry to make that happen. Yeah, I think that's right, JQ. And I'm kind of hoping, to be honest, that Rob gets a couple of situational starts just to make sure that he feels comfortable with the starting lineup. But outside of that, I'm I'm frankly really hoping that they kind of don't start Rob a whole lot this season, at least until the postseason, uh, in large part because it's it's just so paramount importance that Rob be healthy if the Celtics are actually trying to make a finals run. And I think everybody agrees that given last year, year the expectations for Boston should very much be finals or bust um uh, they are just a massively better team when Rob is healthy and playing substantial minutes and I think it the longer you can save him for the postseason the better the only concern that I would have with regard to arguments for why Rob should play maybe more now is that um I do think that there is a point to which um, Al Horford is probably going to need some assistance. Um, you know, I think Horford is rock solid when you need him. He's consistently been just an excellent postseason player for Boston. Um, in in January, I think understandably, given his age, he's been starting to kind of slow down a little bit. And I am by no means calling for Al Horford to be benched. Uh, I do think that they should consider giving Horford a few more games off, particularly before the postseason starts. And, you know, in that situation, I would obviously love to see Rob in the starting lineup. There is a pair of games against Charlotte coming up this month, uh, later, I think later on this month or early in February, I can't remember which, but uh, if you look at those games, there's a couple of two days off on either end of those as well. So you can get almost a week off if you were to sit those games. I think that would be something to keep an eye on Oh, I like that. Um, I am firmly in the camp that Robert Williams should not be starting anytime soon. Um, quite frankly, Nick, the point you raised earlier, Celtics are in it for the long haul. They're not in it for February and March. Um, so I don't, I don't think Robert Williams will ever play more than 30 minutes game in his entire career. I don't think his knees will allow. I don't think his conditioning will allow. And Boston doesn't need him to start. Boston, by scoring and by plus minus, is the third ranked team in the first quarter and they're ranked fifth in rebounding in the first quarter go to the fourth quarter and they're 21st in rebounding um and they're ninth in scoring so they're not uh finishing games as strongly as they're starting games and they've mostly been starting games without rob williams um so i think it ain't broke the starting lineup so there's nothing to fix there and then i do think injecting 
both the chaos and the verticality that Rob offers later in the game makes a big difference. I mean, Manu Ginobili, as a six-man, obviously stabilized the bench for the Spurs, but it also allowed him to be fresher later in the game because he was always going to end the game. And I think Rob is always going to be on the floor when uh, it's crunch time. I don't think it matters that he plays the first seven minutes of the game and gets a little winded and gets a highlight for, you know, for Twitter. I want it to be fresher in the fourth quarter when apparently the Celtics actually need it. So um, I'm, I'm all for like, we love Rob, go Rob, give him his flowers. And Alex, certainly like a few spots here and here, there are good for the confidence. They're good for Al Horford, but please don't start him yet. Uh, ramp it in late March. It's still January. Um, okay. That was my little diatribe. I was going to write about it. Maybe I still will. Uh, that felt, felt good. That it's been a stone. I've been turning over in my head all day. Anyways, uh, other news bits. Noah Vonley is a free agent. Um, to put up, to put up bluntly, uh, Kemba Walker is a free agent with that, uh, bluntly. Um, Jason Tatum wonders if maybe he won't be a free agent for that long, but I would say, Jason, don't hold your breath. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Kenny Anderson, uh, who knows the Nets and the Celtics better than some, picked the Celtics over the Nets for the title. Dr. Quinn, um, any anything you can illuminate there and maybe we can get Kenny on the podcast? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind it. Uh, he's definitely an interesting fellow. He sounded real pained when he had to pick. Uh, he took he took his time. He thought it over. But uh, he, I mean, he doesn't even watch the games, according to him, uh, when they play because he's a fan of both teams. So... I, I feel a little bad for him uh, coming up next week, uh, this week when when they do play. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, what am I going to say? I, I agree. Yeah, sorry, Nick. Um, <laughs> all right, last in the order of news, and then we'll hop into the lab. Um, Justin, uh, I want you to talk about what you learned about the Luke Cornett corn, corn test. But Nick, have you seen Luke Cornett's defense? And what do you think of this new defensive revolution? Going I have seen the defense. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's distracting, I guess, right. To a certain player, if you don't have discipline. So, and he's a huge human. So that usually is going to cause some type of interference. I think, you know, people adjust to it eventually, but for the time being do what you got to do. I mean, you like the activity, right? Like the, the engagement and the hustle to try to do something out there. I think it's kind of funny and it's actually kind of surprising that more players haven't tried it in the past. I mean, he is seven two. He's the tallest American NBA player I don't know if you know that. Yeah, um, I would. I know that if I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I mean, I think there is. Some people have done a lot of the math. I think there's probably a cutoff where, it, like, me doing it probably doesn't do much. But mm-hmm. I do wonder if more players are indeed tall enough to make it make it work. Um, Doctor Quinn, what did you recently learn about the corn test? Uh, nothing too crazy. Uh, I was at um, OKC, OKC Blue versus Capitani's game here in Mexico City and got to talk to Adam Makoka after the game of the Blue, uh, who was a teammate of Luke's in Chicago. Uh, evidently, he was the captain of the Bulls when he was there, which blows my mind. Uh, nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, describing the, the version we have to a T, 
but admitted that he never tried that defense when he was with the Bulls. So it is something basically since he's joined the Celtics, unless unless he picked it up in that brief stint when he was with the Bucks uh, after he got uh, leaved of his duties with the Celtics last season. So I'm not entirely certain where it started. If someone wants to ask him, that would be a, a nice little uh, bookend to that discussion. But yeah, it's a recent development. Yeah, Luke's doesn't get that many podium games, so I haven't been able to <laughs> ask him yet, but I will try. Um, all righty, let's hop into the lab. We have Celtics Nets on deck this Thursday, probably no Durant. We have Celtics Nets uh, February 1st, I think, in Boston. Probably no Durant. But then we might have Celtics Nets in the postseason, which is really what this is all about. So, Nick, uh, let me give you some time to just talk about the the Nets, get everyone caught up here in Boston. Um, You already teased this quite a bit, but um, unload. What's working for the Nets? What role players are stepping up? What's going on with the defense? Why are they suddenly 18-2 and in their last 20 games? Yeah, I mean, obviously at the start, the top of it all is Kevin Durant, as we touched on to start the show, you know, MVP type season. Kyrie's been awesome. He's been super efficient buying in on both ends of the floor. And then just the style of play in the roster they have, you know, they aren't running out these three guard lineups. It's typically one guard, maybe two guards. They also have two or three of some of the most versatile defenders in the entire NBA. As I mentioned early on, Nick Claxton's having a career year. Clax has been awesome defensively. He's one of the best defensive bigs in the league, especially from a versatility perspective. He leads the NBA in blocks per game as well. He's probably top three switch defender for a big in the league. And offensively, it's gone kind of under the radar. He leads the NBA in field goal percentage. He's done a great job of just hitting contested layups, adding a little bit of post game, just using his quickness. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's super quick, a great athlete, and he can finish with both hands. So he's had a huge impact. And going to the season, everyone's like, you know, Ben Simmons is going to be that third star. Nicholas Claxton has been the third best player on this Brooklyn Nets team. And Ben Simmons still is kind of hot and cold and all over the place, but he's done enough and he's added another versatile defender because KD's playing the best defense he's played in a long time. He's behind Claxton. I would say Ben has probably been the third best defender on that team. And then even adding in, you know, okay defenders like Royce O'Neal, you know, probably a little bit overrated by NBA casuals, but does a good job hustling, you know, has an act for making plays here and there. And as I mentioned, Kyrie stepped up at the end of the floor. Utah Watanabe's come in and been a really good defender and has been awesome from three. You know, until he's missed some games, he was number one in the league in three-point percentage. He's shooting like 50 or 60% from the corners. So the team is just finding ways to win, having trust in each other. As I mentioned, Jacques Vaughn has been awesome. The players just really buy into him and his mentality. And even just, you know, some of those post-game videos you see with him interacting with the team, you can really see there's a connection. And I think at times that was missing for Steve Nash, which is kind of strange given that Nash Ash is also a former player. It just seems like Vaughn is kind of in line with those guys, vibes with those guys, and most importantly, vibes with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And that carries over to the whole team. And then as well, there's just depth. You know, like guys have bad nights. Oh, we have Seth Curry who might drop 20 or 30 off the bench. As I mentioned, TJ Warren starting to find form, has had some 20-point games. And when you add a guy like TJ Warren and you already have two great ISO scorers in Kyrie and KD, now you're throwing your third defender on TJ Warren. And a lot of teams don't have three great defenders. And sometimes he's coming off the bench. You know, you look at games, he play, they play the Cavs, and they threw Kevin Love on him. He's going to cook him, and he's not even fully informed yet. So they're finding different ways to win. They're also – an extremely gifted shooting team. They lead the NBA in effective field goal percentage, and it's not on a great shot diet. It's just because they have great shooters. And like I mentioned, Katie, Kyrie, you know, Seth Curry,
three. Joe Harris isn't even playing well, and they're still shooting awesome from three. Royce O'Neal's having a career year from three as well so just a lot of guys stepping up playing team basketball on both ends of the floor and that starts with the stars and Jacques Vaughn so uh unfortunately because of this Durant injury you know this isn't going to be the possible playoff preview that we want it to be um and you can say the same thing about Marcus Smart being out um well although we don't know he'll be out but um for the sake of argument let's say Marcus Smart is out um Alex and Justin I'll go to you first uh what are you looking for for the Celtics, given what happened in December and early parts of January, they are going into Brooklyn and playing one of, if not the premier team in the NBA right now, obviously without Kevin Durant, but like, what are you looking for? What would be a good outcome, obviously, other than a win? What would be a bad outcome, obviously, other than a loss? Um, The thing that I'm kind of most looking for is, will the Nets perimeter defense be improved from what it was last year? Because I think as we kind of mentioned earlier in the pod, the big thing that the Celtics did aside from defending Kevin Durant better than basically any team has ever defended him last year um, is that the Celtics were absolutely killing the Nets at point of attack. Um, They were Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum were just physically overwhelming a lot of the Nets defenders And I think a big part of their turnaround has also been that Durant has really bought in defensively in a way that we haven't seen basically since he was on Golden State. Um, I do think that the lack of KD is going to change the complexion of that defense a lot. And I am wondering, particularly now with Simmons in the rotation, with Claxton playing as well as he is, and with the Nets, frankly, just having a lot more size, basically at every position, um, are the Celtics going to get those same kind of open drives to the basket that they were able to really feast off of and ultimately win that series in large part uh, with. And then the other thing I'm looking for is can Nick Claxton stay on the floor with the Celtics team, particularly with Horford and Robert Williams kind of mucking things up in the middle. The big thing that I think Claxton struggled with is that um, the Celtics completely took him out of the game offensively last year in that series. They just made it such that, He was basically a net negative on that end of the floor. Claxton is going to have to be able to score, make plays, and hit free throws if he wants to stay on the floor in this matchup. And if he's not able to play, I think that potentially changes uh, the Nets' interior defense for the dramatically worse. So those are the two things I'm looking for the most. How how do the Nets handle uh, point-of-attack defense, and can Claxton stay on the floor offensively? Yeah, Hecka Clax was definitely utilized ruthlessly in that series. Uh, the only thing I want to add to that, uh, I touched on some of those points in my notes as well, is also uh, whether Smart is in or out, I think the Celtics have admittedly themselves said that they have a tendency to play down to opponents. Uh, and I'm concerned that with KD not being available, they'll be like, oh, well, we've got this one in the bag, as they have done so often of late. And then they will get their asses handed to them if they do that. So uh, that, I think, for me, is going to be the key, is how seriously they take this matchup without KD being in it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Justin, as well. You know, obviously, 
you guys mentioned the Mavs game and the Spurs game before this, and the Spurs, obviously not a talented team, ended up being super close at the end. It's like this could be a trap game because KD's not there. But Alex, like you mentioned, I think point of attack defense is going to be huge. And even without KD, because we really know what we're getting with Kevin Durant. Even last year in the postseason, he was still one of the Nets' best defenders. It's can these other guys step up? I'm really interested to see Ben Simmons on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, we didn't see that in the earlier matchup this year. What does Ben look like? Ben's gotten up for the bigger matchups. One of his best games has come against the Bucks, where in some of the you know smaller matchups, he's not very impactful or just not very aggressive. And then with the Claxton thing, I think one thing that benefits him this year, especially when Ben's not on the floor, is the Nets have more shooting and they're able to open up the floor. Last year, you don't, if you recall, Bruce Brown played a ton of minutes. He did shoot well from three, but that was a shot the Celtics were willing to give up. And it's it's going to be a theme probably with Royce O'Neal. And we saw that actually in the first matchup. Royce O'Neal was given a ton of open threes from Boston, was not able to knock them down. Jack and I on the buzz always talk about, you know, Royce O'Neal is like this 50-50 player. 50% of the time, he's awesome from three, literally shoots over 50%. The other 50% of the time, shoots other under 20%. So it's those type of shooters. And as I mentioned earlier, Joe Harris just hasn't really found his form. Not necessarily a player that plays well coming off the bench. Will Vaughn put him in the starting lineup with KD being out. How's TJ Warren look? I think it's going to be, there's going to be takeaways from it. Obviously, without you know KD being there and potentially Marcus Smart, we can't take of anything concrete. But there'll be little hints for something we can anticipate maybe in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, man, I was shocked when the Nets let Bruce Brown walk for the price point that he did. He was, I, I genuinely thought by the end of that series, he was the Nets' second best player. So that was uh, that was pretty wild. But there were some rumblings that he wasn't super liked in the locker room by some players. Interesting. Oh, that that is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, needless to say, I'm I'm pretty happy that Bruce Brown is not out there this time around. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he was one of the best point of attack defenders in that series and even still being undersized, did a pretty good job on, I think, Jason Tatum for a few games. You know, obviously Tatum being a great star is going to go off on anybody. I'm actually interested to see the Clax inverse Tatum because Clax, as I mentioned, yeah. is probably one of the switch best switch bigs in the NBA. And Jason Tatum's really been one of the only players he's had issues with at times. Has he kind of gotten over that hurdle? Tatum's really got him with that step back three, which is really tough to defend for almost anybody. I was going to say Tatum's got a lot of people with that step back three. I mean, it's pretty undefendable at this point. I mean, Clax is, if anyone's going to do it, Clax has great length, but it's going to be kind of being disciplined and, you know, not sticking your hand in the cookie jar. I mean, I want to see these two teams play in the playoffs and I want to see them do it healthy, least of which because uh, Tatum and Durant, they're just like so tall and their shots are so smooth that they're, they're really, uh, they mirror each other's game really well. And, to have, to have both teams have a player of that caliber, that height, and that shooting prowess is really exciting. And those guys also get up for playing against each other. Like, I think there's a yeah. real personal rivalry between Durant and Tatum that has kind of started um, since their Team USA days when uh, th- there was a little bit of, like, who's the top dog here? And obviously, at that point, it was clearly Durant. But you could sense that Tatum was kind of coming for him. And I think that I, I expect that rivalry to only continue to grow and flip when Durant gets back yeah they have a great relationship I believe off the court but you can definitely tell Tatum knows he needs to you know go after KD if he wants that top spot and KD knows he needs to kind of hold off Tatum he wants to maintain where he's at in the league so it's going to be interesting I think uh, Kyrie's going to be another matchup to keep an eye on really good in game one against the Celtics terrible the rest of the series you know this year he just seems substantially more engaged and just having more of an impact on the game rather than just scoring. Where in the past, it's like, oh, Kyrie dropped 30. Oh, great game. 
He dropped 10, didn't really do anything else. We're starting to see him improve in other areas that he really just hasn't in the past. And I'm sure it will last. Uh, <laughs> Nick, I know you're going to record. Hey, contract year, Cam. Money yeah. talks. Yeah, don't I know? That's why I became a teacher. Um, <laughs> I know that you have, don't laugh too hard at that. <laughs> um, I know you are recording an episode of The Buzz this evening. So two things. First of all, if you are a Nets fan or a Nick Faye fan, go check out the Brooklyn Buzz podcast. But second, to the benefit of time, I'm going to run through the rest of our list and I'm going to encourage everyone to spend no more than 10 seconds on their their answers. How's that? Um, so uh, let's look ahead to the spring. It's everyone's full health. We have to assume that Boston and Brooklyn are going to be the, the top seeds, not maybe not one, two, but up there. So probably not a first round matchup, although anything could happen. Um, I'd like to point out, because I find it interesting, that Brooklyn and Boston are the only teams with winning records on the road right now in the NBA. Um, so, Nick, just for fun, look into your crystal ball. Where do the two teams land in terms of seeding? And now in early January, who has the upper upper hand should these two teams meet in the playoffs? Yeah, I think uh, with seeding, now that Kevin Durant's probably going to miss a month, and that's more likely to drop to three or four. You know, if he was healthy, I think, we'd anticipate this kind of being a battle down the stretch of the season for the number one seed. The Nets are only one game behind now. Obviously they could get hot with, you know, the other role players stepping up. We'll see what happens. I think you have to give Boston a nod right now. You know, I think they've proven it. Obviously last year they went to the finals. The Nets team still has to prove it in the postseason. Guys have to step up. Obviously it's going to be a lot of pressure for Jacques Vaughn, his first postseason with this team. And I think the Nets are probably one quality player behind. I think an interesting thing with the team will be just how they attack the trade market. We'll get there in a moment. Um, Alex and Justin, anything Nick missed? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much it. Um, the only other thing that I would be thinking about for Brooklyn is um, can their role players kind of keep this momentum going? Right now they're rolling, um, but it's a long season and we've seen the Celtics bench be kind of up and down at times. Are all of these Nets role players still going to be playing at this level by the time the postseason rolls around? Yeah, that's a little sad. Sure. Okay, Nick. Uh, you teased this. Uh, are you recording the trade mailbag episode yes. this evening? Okay, so yes. definitely go check out the Brooklyn Buzz, um, humble listeners. Um, give us a tease then. What sort of move will the Nets make at the trade deadline? I mean, it's going to be tough to predict what type of move. I think this next month is going to dictate a little bit of you know how much Sean Marks needs to do. You know, if Katie's out a little bit longer, you you have to make that move. Maybe it's something as small as, you know, signing a, or trading for Mo Bamba, you know, a stretch big that can maybe help improve, you know, Ben Simmons, or maybe it's a, a bigger move going after a guy like Kyle Kuzma, giving yourself another versatile forward who can, you know, pick it up on nights when Katie and Kyrie are out. So it's, that's pretty much the range. I think someone as good as Kyle Kuzma and someone that could have a limited role off the bench, like a Mo Bamba in the postseason. That sounds familiar to the kind of trades we cook up. Well, I would say this too. I think it's an interesting point will be the Nets and Celtics will be potentially competing for similar players and whoever lands that guy could end up getting the edge come postseason time. Because similar, like similar price point too. I don't think, yep. uh, I think, uh, you know, a little bit above the, the full mid-level exception is the most either team could conceivably realistically mess around with adding to the roster without really shaking things up. And I think it's much more likely that we see somebody near to a minimum salary uh, to, you know, a couple million dollars added to the roster just to do something situational on the wing or maybe like more like a big burly big that neither team really has right now on the roster that's very effective. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting if um if one team at the top of the East blinks first and say the Nets make a move next week if there's like a little bit of an arms race. Obviously, neither team has that many picks to trade and not that much cash to play with, but uh, I I hope the Celtics make a an interesting splash. And so maybe the Nets will feel inclined to do the same. Um, okay, Nick, I don't really want to eat up your time talking about Kyrie because <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm making an executive decision on that front. So um, I'll give you a two-parter to close up shop. First, um, just like walk me through your emotional roller coaster of whether or not Kevin Durant was going to be traded. And second, um, any advice to new parents or soon to be new parents as a, a new dad yourself? Uh, I will start with the KD point. Uh, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster. I think there were signs that the trade requests were coming based off of some of the press releases or uh, drops and uh, like news drops from Woj and uh, Wendy, you know, Joe Sai talking about, I wouldn't want last year's team this year, blah, blah, blah. You saw the both time, both, you know, Joe parties Sai battling. Just talks. Joe yeah. Sai does not have good media training. <laughs> Very emotional billionaire. Uh, I would say he doesn't necessarily understand how the NBA runs to the highest extent yet um, and has made more than one questionable decision in the past and could be a big factor that reason Kevin Durant, you know, had that trade request. But him rescinding it felt great. I think after the trade didn't happen the first month, you know, it didn't happen in July, you start to realize like they're not offering anything. The Nets have no reason to, to, force this trade, especially Kevin Durant being the type of player he is, you'd never anticipated him seeing out a training camp. And he even talked about that in his you know, latest interviews, like the other guys requested trades, but I never did it in the season because I wanted to not, you know, impact the game on the court and take away from the NBA product. So credit to KD and, you know, the party's coming together and figuring it out. I think both sides had to have some level of accountability and be like, Hey, you didn't do this. You could be a better leader. You know, you guys needed to make a trade at the deadline. You, know, you needed to handle the Kyrie situation different. I think there's just a whole bunch of factors that kind of went down the line and why we ended up in this situation. It's worked out really well for both parties. And in terms of being a new parent, um, just enjoy the moment. Try to get as much sleep as you can. Uh, work on your nutrition because that's the only way you're probably going to make up for the limited sleep you're going to get. But it's really awesome and I encourage it for everybody. I love that. All right. Well, um, thanks for coming on the podcast. Please appreciate me having me on. Yeah, please. Everyone check out the Brooklyn Buzz. Um, what's up to Cynthia? What's the baby's name? Nico. Hey, Nico. Um, best of luck on Thursday, but really best of luck uh, in the springtime. And we'll talk before then, I'm sure. Bigger goals ahead, right? Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Like and subscribe to this podcast, Brooklyn Buzz, any podcast you listen to. It really helps content creators. Um, and otherwise, we'll catch you soon. Adios. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.